Hello, I'm Rosemary Gallagher and welcome to Sustainable Scotland, a podcast brought to you by the Scotsman, Scotland's national newspaper since 1817, now bringing you fresh and relevant content for the 21st century. Sustainable Scotland looks at how we're doing in our efforts to be cleaner and greener for the next generation. This episode of Sustainable Scotland is brought to you in partnership with Highlands Rewilding Limited. And I'm speaking today to Jeremy Leggett, Chief Executive of Highlands Rewilding, and Fraser Campbell, Managing Director of Cobbs Group and one of the first funders of Highlands Rewilding. Highlands Rewilding says it seeks to help rewild and repeople the Scottish Highlands by increasing carbon sequestration, growing biodiversity, creating green jobs, and generating sustainable profit for purpose. It currently manages two rewilding projects in the Highlands of Scotland, at the Ben Lloyd Estate and the Bildorney Estate. And it's currently crowdfunding with citizen rewilders being able to invest anything from £50 upwards. Jeremy and Fraser, could you both introduce yourselves, tell them a bit about your backgrounds and also your involvement with um, Highlands Rewilding? So, Jeremy, would you like to go first as the Chief Executive of Highlands Rewilding? Yes, my, my name is Jeremy Leggett. I um, started my vocational life as an academic um, on the faculty at Imperial College. I researched and taught earth science, and that got me really concerned early on about climate meltdown. And I decided to try and do something about that with what remained of my vocational life. So I set up a solar energy company solar century and uh, ultimately that was quite successful um, and knocked out a few fossil fuels hopefully along the way Um, and and when that adventure came to an end when the company was bought by Statcraft I um, decided to have another adventure in environmentalism and and that's when I bought the two estates up in uh, up in the highlands uh, aiming to try and score some runs in Um, carbon sequestration for climate reasons, but also biodiversity uplift, um, preservation and increase of biodiversity because of the collapse of biodiversity in our world. So that that was the origin of the Highlands Rewilding project. Thank you, Jeremy. That's very interesting. And Fraser, can you tell me how you first heard about Highlands Rewilding and how you got involved and a bit about obviously your day-to-day role as well and what you do Mm -hmm, for a living? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my name's uh, Fraser Campbell. I'm managing director of a company called Cobbs, which um, is quite a diverse company. We own and run many businesses across Scotland, mainly in the Highlands. I mean, I'm sort of tourism-based, but um, I, I come from a hotel background, and um, I've lived and worked in this area for 35 years, um, being self-employed. Um, so... In, in Drumnadrochert, we're very proud of the fact that we're actually it's the headquarters of our, our, our business. So we, we we trade in Ireland and England and all over the place, central belt, but we're very proud of the fact that we're, we're based and, and, and our headquarters is here in the Highlands. Um, so we heard of this gentleman um, who'd bought the this estate in our doorstep, and we just wanted to find out a wee bit more about what he was up to. We heard all sorts of stories about introducing all sorts of animals, i.e. wolves and things, which we discovered was absolute rubbish once we'd met him. But uh, myself and my business partner went up, and we were lucky to um, 
get a show round of the state. And we were actually blown away with what Jeremy and his team were doing at Binloit. And we came back and we reported back to our key members of staff in the village and said, look, we, we, we need to go up and have another look at this, what, what, what they're doing. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. It, it's really part of the tour, tourism story. We need to go and have a look. So we, we organised, um, I think it was 12 of us came up in a minibus and Jeremy very kindly showed us around the estate and we were all, we were all blown away again. So we decided at that point that we needed to invest into what Jeremy was, was doing because it was so um, so a great story in soaking up carbons, etc. that we, we had to be involved. Um, so that's that's our, our, our involvement. We just um, we believe in what Jeremy's and his team is trying to do in our village. You know, it's a, a great thing. And Jeremy, that's an excellent introduction from yourself and Fraser about what's happening. With you, can you explain a bit more about Highlands Rewilding and really what challenges it's trying to address, and in particular, more about the Bunloit and Bildurney estates and what you plan to do with them in terms of rewilding and biodiversity? Well, our primary focus is on two existential problems, really, for um, for humankind climate meltdown and biodiversity collapse. If we don't fix those, you you know, we're in deep, deep trouble. And it's going to be very difficult. But the good news is that the Scottish government is particularly um, keen and I think resolute based on officials and politicians that I've spoken to doing something about this. So we really, we really want to help out uh, and lead, help lead from the, the front um, in, in getting carbon out of the atmosphere and increasing biodiversity. And that involves system change in land management and here there's more good news because um the land owning community of all of all kinds really i think across scotland small and large um seem to be on the whole bought into the idea that past practices have been a tad ruinous um helped significantly in creating these problems and we we have to change so how to do it and there are lots of discussions going on at the moment there is no policy at the moment in biodiversity uplift there's plenty of activity behind closed doors which we and other folk like us are involved in so you know we we really want to try and um, show what can be done uh, measure the uplifts in carbon and, and biodiversity that's very important we've got a we've got a big science program at work both on the Bunloyd estate and Beldorney and then ultimately also show that we can make it ethically profitable, you know, because if it's not uh, pr profitable, not, not at levels of greedy venture capital type profit, but just a sort of ethical level of profitability, which will repay our shareholders, Fraser and many, many others, I hope, uh, 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 and um, and also show other landowners that, you know, there, there are other ways to be prosperous, um, protecting the land. And Jeremy, are you surprised about how supportive the Scottish Government and landowners have been? Because it's quite a, a different thing you're doing. Did you expect that level of support and interest? Um, not as much as I've found it to be. I, I mean, you know, I'm used to the kind of things that go on down in Westminster and that, let's not <laughs> spend any time talking about that. But, you know, just a quick anecdote to illustrate the point. We had a workshop uh, on Bunloit for 
compadres from the Cairngorm National Park Authority. You know, they're very like-minded. They're trying to do the same kind of stuff as us. And one or two government officials came along to that. And the next day I get a, a phone call from, uh, an email from Nature Scott saying, can we bring a party from Nature Scott down to Bunloyd to see what you're doing? And of course I say, yes, how many of you? When do you want to come? 30 next week, please. So, you know, it's just a small anecdote to illustrate, I think, the level of activity that's going on behind the scenes. And it's, I think it's good news for, for landowners and for communities, for landowners, because there will be significant changes coming, but there will be a reward system worked out for, you know, how you make ethical profits for that. And uh, local communities, all sorts of benefits, not least in, in jobs and livelihoods. I mean, we... Highlands Rewilding, we're now up at 22 in our team. Most of them are from the Highlands. And, you you know, they, as, as far as I can tell, they all enjoy their jobs. It's great to hear that level of support and interest, but obviously there's still a multi-billion pound finance gap when it comes to UK nature. Um, what do you think can be done to address that involving both private investment and public sector support? Yeah, it's a big mountain to climb. The uh, Green Finance Institute recently worked out that to hit the Scottish government's ambitious targets within 10 years, we collectively, and that's everyone, will will have to bring in £20 billion of investment to make it happen. And you might say, well, how, how on earth is that going to happen? It, it can happen because I've seen that kind of level of investment happen in the solar revolution, the solar energy revolution as solar energy grew to be this this enormous tsunami of increasingly affordable energy um and uh you know i'm, I'm hoping the, to help it to happen again in the nature recovery industry that's going to emerge it will have to involve lots of of private finance i mean the big investment houses the pension funds and others are going to have to invest so are the banks and none of them have particularly yet other than you know one or two have bought big estates in scotland um, themselves which is not a terrific idea i think uh, you know this is the so-called green layered uh, phenomenon um, not a good idea for big corporations that aren't that don't have multiple ownership rooted in communities and you know people who live and work in the place. So what we're going to try and do in Highlands Rewilding, we are a mass ownership company. We've already already got um, dozens of, of shareholders and we're hoping to have hundreds, maybe even thousands. and we're focusing our outreach to Scots in general and Highlanders in particular, to you know, create an, an entity that is, yes, a creature of hopefully enlightened capitalism, but is also um, you know, fit for purpose. And uh, it's not the only model for bringing private capital into the into the game, but it, you know, we, we hope it's it's a good contribution. And Jeremy, you mentioned there about your background in the solar energy sector. What do you think we can learn from your experience in that sector? Well, at the beginning, in around the year 2000, when I started out and set up the company, you you know, people laughed at us. They they said solar energy is for dream dr dreamers and and ridiculous green people, um, and it'll never compete with nuclear, coal, oil, and gas. Well, 
you know, fast forward to 20 years and solar is the most affordable energy on the planet. It's the single fastest growing form of energy. And, you you know, we we help make that happen in, in solar century. So really, I'm hoping to, in you, you, you know, see that kind of su surprising exponential growth in a survival related industry happen again in the nature recovery industry to the great benefit of economies in general and actually Scotland's in particular because Scotland is uniquely um you know positioned to to benefit from this and as I said earlier I think um you know has has a group of civil servants and politicians who are dead serious about making it happen you had an initial fundraising which was very successful can you tell me how that money's been invested and why you're now launching crowdfunding and how that differs from your initial fundraising effort well to get going we needed to to find founding funders you know who, who could afford to invest fair, fairly significant sums and we did that there were 50 of them 49 individuals and one financial institution crucially um M MFS investment management. So crucially, we have our first financial institution come to the to to the adventure. But the but the idea of the retail crowdfunding is that this time we can bring the minimum ticket, the the smallest sum that can be invested, right down as low as we can. And it turns out that's as uh, as low as fifty pounds. So citizen rewilders can co-own the um, the two estates we have and. Um, and others that we might acquire. So it's a, it will be a genuine mass ownership company. And this is very, I found this is very popular with the Scottish government, with politicians and and, um, and civil servants. And, you know, it's it's not, it's probably not as good as the community buyout models where the community, communities can own uh, big tracts of land themselves and run them themselves, not relying on, on you know some some cor corporation and hoping it's got an enlightened board um but uh as i say that this this is this is the model that we're creating that we already know can attract at least one financial institution as well as ordinary folk and we hope we hope more in this second fundraising round and why do you think the financial institutions have been quite reluctant to get involved apart from one that stands out mfs investment management well, they're you know they're they're so conservative and so risk averse, and it's there are internal cultures that we have to help um, change really because the biggest risk they face. Let's be honest, in a world that's sort of beginning to burn everywhere, and and where biodiversity is collapsing to the extent that we might lose our pollinators and not be able to feed ourselves. The biggest risk they face is they're not going to have a, a a viable business environment to operate in in the future unless they help solve these problems. So it's it's creating that bridge, getting them across their 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 conservative small C approach to um, to finance to to realize that actually you know that there are safer bets, and if we play this correctly, people will have a greater prosperity um, from from the seismic changes that are coming. And with your crowdfunding, would you say it's for the average person in the street? Is it everyone you're reaching out to? What's your kind of ideal target investor for the crowdfunding? 
oh, anyone who, you know, wants to be a citizen rewilder who likes what we're doing, approves of it and can afford a sum as, as small as 50 pounds. I mean, let, let's be honest, 50 pounds is a lot, a lot of money with a cost of living crisis as dire as the one we've got. So I don't know how successful we're going to be, but we have to try. That's the important thing. And it's, um, it's something new. And, and uh, I, I really hope it will be viewed as a good contribution to society. You're listening to our Sustainable Scotland podcast with me, Rose McGallagher, and our guests, Jeremy Leggett, Chief Executive of Highlands Rewilding, and Fraser Campbell, Managing Director of Cobbs Group, and also a founding funder of Highlands Rewilding. This episode of Sustainable Scotland is in partnership with Highlands Rewilding. If you would like to discuss partnering with the Scotsman for an episode of Sustainable Scotland, please email podcasts at scotsman.com. Now going back to Highlands Rewilding, I asked Fraser Campbell, one of its founding investors, why he decided to support the initiative and what benefits he has seen it bring to his local community and economy in the Highlands so far. Um, yeah, there was when, when we went to visit Jeremy and Ben Lloyd, we were starting on the, the uh, process of, of looking at our own businesses anyway, on the sort of the, how we could be more green in, in our outlook across all sectors of our business. And it just put this sort of top and tail on it that what Jeremy was doing was something that we could be doing in our, our, in our own business. And we see that it has a, a commercial benefit, you know, um, within our own organisation. We've got a hotel that's surrounded by um, water and wind and solar power. And we, we are seriously looking at coming off grid and, and, and looking at this one particular building, which is on Loch Ness, to embrace sort of all the all the all the green which um, will, will be a cheaper way of, of running our that particular business but also we see that what jeremy's doing up at benloit is a, an additional uh, tourism attraction really that um could could be opened up and you know people will eventually shop and buy a hotel bedroom with the understanding that they're actually contributing towards um green um, green tourism so we ha- are looking at maybe putting on some sort of um, rewilding tax onto our bedrooms maybe next year of even just a pound that um, people can discretionary leave and we would pass it on to uh, Bunloyd but I think I think if they come and enjoy the area we need to protect the area for future so them contributing um, would, would would be good um, but um, we would like to see more um, awareness in the village. In Drumnadrochet, we must attract well over a million plus people through here during the eight months of the season. It would be good. I'm sure that most of them will not know what's actually going up, just going on up the road. And it would be good to have some sort of visitor centre or some sort of um, storyboards around the place to, to actually tell people what is happening locally, because it is very unique and positive. And on a, on a commercial basis, people might stay longer. You know, we, we, we struggle to have people to stay more than one night in our businesses. We've got 125 bedrooms across the area. And then, you know, we're a one night overnight stop for most people. All these different things, i.e. what Jeremy's doing, people might stay another night, which is which is great. It goes, saves changing beds, you know. <laughs> we can have them for the two nights and um, they spend a bit more time with us. So it's it, it's real 
positive benefit we're looking at it as. Sounds good. Fraser, so you see lots of benefits. So I take you intend to invest in the crowdfunding as well, having been an early investor in the initial round. Is that right? Yes. God, God willing, we can make some profit and uh, we will absolutely um, <clears throat> be reinvesting with uh, at Benoit. Um, Jeremy and Fraser, um, been looking outside your area, can you see any examples of good practice with land management and biodiversity in other parts of Scotland or indeed other parts of the world which you'd like to see replicated in Scotland? Yeah, there, there is a lot going on in Scotland. I mean, it's um, we hope that we're, we're going to be able to play a, a helping hand um, leading from the front, but there there are a good few other estates that have made a, a good start. And as a, the landowning community itself is aware that there is a problem, and I talked to lots of landowners who've begun the process of of trying to be more green um, and positioning for the new land management rewards that are coming. If I had to pick out a couple of examples. I think it would be the the Cairngorm National Park Authority and some of the some of the big areas of land in the Cairngorms. They're very forward thinking on on all this, but there there, there are there there are a good few examples. We're we're far from alone, and we're working with the grain. Okay, no, thank you, Jeremy. Um, Fraser, is there any examples from your experience that you've seen anything I'd like to see that happen in my local area? Um, well, you know, there's. I think uh, the, the the website Global Alliance website is is um, got lots of projects across across the world, which are all amazing. But the one that sticks out with me is the the reintroducing of um, beavers, which seems to be the catalyst to um, for wetlands that team seems to have been introduced into the UK, and it all seems to be working quite well. And they're creating areas for other animals and uh, vegetation, natural vegetation and natural animals to grow and prosper. Okay, no, sounds good. And um, now looking at COP26, obviously we're now over a year on from COP26 and um, COP27 has happened. Um, what do you see is, is there a good legacy from COP26 in your view or should more have been done? How do you, just a year on looking back, what do you see as the legacy of COP26? Maybe Jeremy first? Well, I've been to so many of these cops over the years, and it, it's a familiar pattern. Uh, you know what what happens is that there are small steps forward at most of them. Not all. Sometimes there's a step back, but uh, mostly there's a small step forward. But it, everybody knows it's not enough. It's way short of what we have to do, and we do have to achieve system changes. In the in the way we go about um, treating the climate and biodiversity, so we continue to live in hope. And the one thing we we can be sure of is, is that we need we need standard bearers. We need projects and um, leadership examples where that can inspire people and say, you know, we could do this. It's not that difficult. Uh, we just simply have to change the the way we go about things, whether it's energy, not using fossil fuels or replacing them with all the things we know they can be replaced with now, uh, mostly affordably, or not affordably, that's the wrong word, but um, more cheaply than using fossil fuels. And uh, in the case of biodiversity, 
we've just got to stop and change these practices that we have that are that, that are killing life on the planet around us and Highlands Rewilding created its own legacy from COP26 your forest of hope can you tell me a bit more about that and how you came up with that concept and, and how far it's been developed? Yeah, that's an obvious thing that we have to do. We have to plant or regenerate and or regenerate lots of trees. And down in Beldorni, we've got a lovely opportunity to do that in pasture land that we own that goes up the, the River Deveron. And it would start with wonderful um, native woodland that we have, existing woodland that has survived or, or not been cut down. And the way we, we're simply going to plant and regenerate up the side of the valley. Um, and the COP people, the innovation zone at the COP, they came up with the name Forest of Hope and said, can we use this as a legacy of the COP in Glasgow? And we said, well, of course you can. And then a local community organization, the Cabrac Trust, um, said to us, well, look, um, can we can we have a role in trying to coordinate other landowners and farmers up the River Deveron doing the same thing um, and extending the Forest of Hope? And of, of course, we said yes to that as well. So there's this the possibility that this um, future forest, which is currently beginning to be planted, where right now, uh, just recently, we finished planting another 10,000 uh, 10, trees that were uh, saplings that were donated to us by Trees for Life. And we're um, we're rolling the program out and with great hope that it will be it will be continued up the, the Deveron Valley. OK, thank you, Jeremy. And Fraser, is there any legacy you see from COP26, positive legacy? And what would you like to see COP27 deliver? Yeah. I think I would like to see um, the governments making it easier for smaller businesses like us to cut through and all the red tape that's around to access grant aid to, to allow us to put in the, the different, you know, solar panels and hydro schemes, etc. It seems to be a minefield, and the actual cost of getting to where you need to be, i.e., paying your accountant to work out everything that they they need, it's not. It's cost restrictive in that, you know, I think probably the, the largest grant we would be getting would be something like 25%. But by the time you, you actually get to that point, you probably spent the 25% on getting all the, 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 the boxes ticked and the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted before they were actually looking at it. So I, I would like to see more, more easier grants available for businesses like ours that want to be, become more sustainable. I'd uh, so like to see some more practical help on the ground to help businesses of all sizes. Business of all sizes, from <clears throat> bed and break, we, you know, bed and breakfasts to <clears throat> larger, larger businesses in the area. It's 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 the same it's the same problem in accessing uh, government funding to to help us to get to where we want to be. Yeah. Okay. And um, turning to another COP, COP fifteen. Um, Jeremy, what would you like to see COP15 deliver on biodiversity and rewilding? Well, I'm, I've got great hopes of, of this biodiversity COP. It's confusing for people. And there are the climate COPs and the biodiversity COPs. Yeah, once a year, there's a big summit for, for, the, for these two things. Uh, and so the, the COP for biodiversity, this one's going to be very important because there, there's a very clear sense among many governments uh, 
not just the Scottish government, that, that this is a, a massive existential problem. We have to deal with it. And that's the sentiment that's going to be taken off to um, off to that particular COP. So what, occasionally wonderful things can happen at these COPs, like the Paris. That was that was a real step forward. Uh, of course, um, you know, you arguably it, it hasn't delivered on its promise. But it, it was a it was a very happy occasion where the countries of the world did come together and take a big step forward and provide some teeth in the treaty. Uh, so that, that's what I'm hoping will come out of this biodiversity COP that's coming up in December. OK, and then Hailsley Wilding has produced a, a natural capital report, and I believe you plan to do more similar reports. How are the findings of that report shaping your plans for, for what you're doing in the Highlands? Yeah, well, that was our first report on our first year's scientific work, which we published at the uh, at an event at the Glasgow COP. And the second one, which will be ready in December, we're going to publish during the week of the Biodiversity COP, COP15. Um, and that will have all our updated scientific investigations of the nature on the, the two estates. Um, and the last one, uh, you know, it was very well received. We, it got great reviews. And I'm really hopeful the second one's going to get even more reviews because it's got um, some some really interesting uh, discoveries in it. And Jeremy, we've had a positive response to what you're doing with Highlands rewilding, but there's also some people, I suppose, concerned that rewilding can be seen as, as depeopling and losing the population. How can you ensure this doesn't happen in your local community so people do stay and work alongside the rewilding? Yeah, it's uh, it depends on your definition of rewilding, and there are there are a good few of them. Uh, we the purpose of Highlands rewilding is nature recovery and community prosperity through rewilding. So that's very clear on where we stand. We people have to be a part of the healing landscapes, living on it, um, working on it, uh, farming on it in different ways of course than from some of the most of the old ways but people have to be part and center we're, we're part and center of the environment we don't subscribe to the view of rewilding that you know everything gets left to nature and turned turned over to um wolves and so forth <laughs> so that's um yeah that, that 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 that's our approach and i think to be fair most organizations there's an organization called the Scottish Rewilding Alliance, and there are 30 organisations in that, and most of them operate pretty much the same definition of rewilding that we do. Okay, so, so no wolves planned for the area. So so Fraser, um, no wolves, what would you like to see rewilding bring to your local area and the community and economy? And how would you encourage others to support rewilding in your area? Um, well, we see it as a real positive um, um, commercial aspect of, of what we do and um, I, I, you know probably in the next few years we will we'll, we'll see that come into fruition with um, extending the, the the we've got an eight month season and we've seen it over the years over the 30 years it used to be a six week season during July and August but over the years we've seen um, the season de developing into um, longer and the shoulder months becoming you know, the winter months becoming less. And the idea would be that hopefully with what Jeremy's trying to do is that we become sustainable 
business all year round, so a 12-month business. At the moment, we have to close a couple of our hotels because there's just not a business here. So the idea is always to be to try and, and attract more visitors to the area, which sustains jobs and, you know, sustains the community. So that, that that's our kind of remit with, with what Jeremy's trying to do. Well, thank you, Jeremy and Fraser. It's been very interesting hearing about what's happening in your area with Highlands Rewilding. Is there anything I would like to add? And how can people find out more about Highlands Rewilding and get involved? I think the the simplest way to get involved is to have a look at the website and yeah. um, sign up. It's, it's with breathtaking originality, www.highlandsrewilding.co.uk. Thank you so much to Jeremy Leggett and Fraser Campbell for sharing their insights in this podcast, focusing on the opportunities around rewilding and biodiversity in Scotland. And thanks to you very much for listening to this latest episode in our Sustainable Scotland series, produced by The Scotsman. This episode was delivered in partnership with Highlands Rewilding. People should not invest unless they are prepared to lose all the money they invest. This is a high-risk investment, and people are unlikely to be protected if something goes wrong. So please listen out for and enjoy more episodes of Sustainable Scotland on all your main podcast platforms. Sustainable Scotland is presented by me, Rosemary Gallagher, and produced by Andrew Mulligan.